This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Today, uh, we are done with our MacGuffins on Star Wars. We finished up our last one on the Disney uh, trilogy this week, so check that out. We've also got a ton of other Star Wars content up, uh, and it's all been in preparation for this. The release of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was somebody who stayed up until midnight since they announced the the release time would be earlier, and I watched two episodes early in the morning um, to get there, and so... I am excited. Uh, my friend Luke has actually just finished both episodes, so they are fresh on his mind. Um, and we are both really excited to do our first review of episodes one and two of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus series. Luke, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Riding the I just saw Star Wars high. That's great. It's funny because um, when I look at this uh, series, it starts with a recap. Um, and I think that recap should just be the canon as the prequels. <laughs> That's the whole thing. <laughs> it was it was really good. Like the was, cut was true. really good. Like it, the emotion was really good. It got all of the good parts, none of the awkward dialogue. And I was like, man, this is a good set of movies that this just previewed um, without any of the wipe cuts or anything. So I think they should have put one in there just for posterity's sake for George Lucas. But yeah, the recap got me. I was a little emotional. It was great. Yeah, that was, that was unexpected, but really, but pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. Um, the, I want to say one thing about the feel before we get started. Um, and it gets into um, our kind of the first scene that we get in this series. Um, but, uh, and then I, and I, I, then I just want to ask you if this, if you liked it, is this what you expected? But something i just want to name on the front end that's really cool about this uh the one thing i will say about the sequel trilogy that we didn't really talk about on our sequel trilogy um podcast um and all the disney era stuff is that it's felt really like aesthetically grounded maybe not like literally grounded but like the practical effects like also matched with like higher quality filming right so obviously they did practical effects in the original trilogy but the camera film like you know the quality of like the the high definition wasn't in effect and so this feels a lot like that very grounded practical effects like it looks great but it has the kind of bigness and excitement of the prequel trilogy so in some sense and obviously it, it stars obi-wan kenobi <laughs> so like it marries together i think the best elements of both the prequels and the sequels um in my opinion but um I will say that it was better than I expected. I was expecting it to be good, but as of right now, I'm cautiously optimistic. I like it. What about you, Luke? Did you, did this meet your expectations, exceed it? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? Yeah, it exceeded my expectations. I have to say, like, I think the, um, the setup of, of everything, the slow burn of those first couple episodes, you know, I, it really, I mean, I actually didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have, um, 
a lot of expectations, but at the same time coming off of Boba Fett, which I just didn't think was like produced particularly well or yeah. envisioned particularly well in comparison to something like the Mandalorian. I was like, I don't really know what to expect going into this, but in my opinion, they nailed it um, in a number yep. of ways. I think aesthetically they nailed it uh, story-wise so far they have, I think, you know, you and McGregor just still, still does such a phenomenal job. Um, <laughs> my, I have very few uh, critiques of this, a couple minor ones, but overall I, thought it was excellent yeah i mean same here I, the, some of them is just like uh continuity issues but like like i said it was i loved it and again like i think one of the powerful things about this and this is like i said the the thing that i was hoping back when we talked about the prequels was that this would allow like ewan mcgregor to kind of shine because he was kind of that lone character who i felt like really came to like showed up really every single scene he was in and did the best he could with what he was given i mean still to this day like one of the more chilling emotional scenes is like him shouting down at anakin who's burning alive you know mm -hmm. uh, about being the chosen one i mean it's just such a powerful um scene and so like but he's just able to capture things with his like his mannerisms his facial expressions just so good but let's just dive in here we're gonna hit the high points um of this and just get through this and and you know get the criticisms in along the way a lot of stuff i didn't expect in this which is really interesting first of all was the early early flashback to the temple scene mm -hmm. uh, where the uh order 66 is happening and the storm well the clone troopers are uh, attacking the jedi temple you see a bunch of younglings being trained and some stormtroopers and it's just i mean this is what i liked about this like it showed just the sheer horror of what it must have been like to be in the jedi temple that night um and things like that and that was that was incredible what do you think about that yeah well one thing i'll say about that is i thought it was cool and correct me if i'm wrong but it's one of the first times if not the first time we've seen kind of the prequel era jedi in the disney era of production Yep. Um, and I thought seeing the Jedi temple and seeing, you know, multiple Jedi, obviously fighting the clones and that whole scene, like through kind of the Disney lens was really cool. And I want to see more. I want to see more of it. I'm like, give us, give us, you know, I mean, they're working on high Republic stuff, right? Like give us high Republic Disney stuff, because I really liked the way they pulled that off. Now, obviously there wasn't much story. It was all action. But at the same time, I was like, this looks really, really good. Um, so I was, I was impressed with that. Yeah, it's like I said, the aesthetics of this is, is spot on. So if you if you're somebody, you know, obviously, if you're watching this, um, there are a lot of spoilers here. So if you're not wanting this to be spoiled, I apologize. We've already spoiled a bunch of stuff. But um, but like if you're somebody who likes the aesthetics of the sequel Disney era stuff, this is this is the show for you, because I think it's it's on point. Um, and I'm, I'm bet we're going to go back to this. Like, I, I, I don't think this is the last time we see order 66 uh, or the inside of the Jedi temple. Um, because, you know, I, I just have to believe that one of those characters has to be Reva. I imagine the little girl in there has to be Reva. There's several little kids, but, um, like I said, I think this is setting up something a little bit more. And I'll, I have a theory about that, that I'll talk about later, but, uh, the next thing we see, and this is, this is where things really start to pick up, like, uh, story-wise is we now get to see the life of obi-wan kenobi where we last left him he he gave luke to owen brew and he was kind of heading back to his um horse thing <laughs> to kind of ride off into the distance and so now we get to see his life um anything stand out to you kind of about how he's living um 
in in uh, on Tatooine right now? Yeah, I liked I liked seeing you know they, they gave us multiple days, which I thought was kind of cool, right? So he kind of goes through the same routine over and over again, and I think that's probably one of those things that like this is key to him hiding. You know, like he he, st- he keeps the same routine. He doesn't deviate from certain things, um, you know, because he's being so super, super careful. Um, so you see him do the same things over and over again because um, he's like, hey, this has worked for however many years. Like, I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep doing this. Obviously, then that gets disrupted. Right. By like by that Jedi showing up and by the Inquisitor showing up and his little conflict with Owen. But like overall, um, I really enjoyed that. I liked the Easter egg. Did you pick up on the T-16 Easter egg? Yes. Uh, I mean, that was a pretty obvious one, but I thought that was cool. Um, but, you know, the little little Skyhopper toy that Luke has there in episode four, I was like, yeah, that's a nice, nice little nod. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. So he but, buys that, yeah, from a Jawa to mm-hmm. uh, also frauds him. And I, I it's awful. <laughs> There's another Easter egg here in this part, too, because he works kind of in like a, I'm guessing like a, um, a crate dragon, like they're kind of carving him up for meat. Um, I mean, would you assume that's what they're working on there? Yeah, it gets, that was my guess. I can't think of anything else that would be that big. On that yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't know. It's not Dune. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> so the um, he basically works on a barge where he's cutting up like slivers of meat. He gets paid at the end of every day. He steals a little bit for himself, I think. I don't know if he's stealing. It looks like he's stealing. Um, but here's another little Easter egg. I want to know what you think about. Like he he drops the like he prepares a meal very similar to the way that we see Ray prepare a meal in episode seven. You know when she's kind of I mean obviously it's on Jakku. This is on Tatooine, and he even looks like Ray when he goes outside of his cave and he kind of sits on the ledge and he has his feet dangling there. And I was just like, why, please, are they, are, I hope to God they're not going to try and squeeze Obi-Wan also into Ray's parentage somehow. Like I had a, I had an immediate cold shiver on that, uh, but that seems to be a direct like callback or call forward, whatever you want to say to Ray in that scene. That's the, immediately the first thing I thought of, like the meal, the way he ate it, just, just his whole mannerism felt like Ray. Yeah, I, I picked up on that too. I think I think it might just be a little bit of a nod. I hope it doesn't go much further than that. But uh, yeah, I think it was a little bit, a little bit of a nod. There's a few other nods we'll get into from this, in particular from the second episode that I really, that I really also like little Easter eggs. Uh, but I, I thought overall, like you know, they did the right thing by jumping into the action with the, you know, like any good movie would with what right. was happening at the Jedi Temple. It's like, okay, here's your eye, eye catcher. But then, of course, they draw it way, way back and start to show you just kind of the monotony of Obi-Wan's days um, and kind of what, what his life looks like. So I thought that they did that really effectively. I also like that he's in the cave um, and not in his hovel, you know, that we see in episode four. Like, it just, it just allows for a little de- development that not everything was as we saw it, you know, in yeah. New Hope. Yeah, totally. I, I, it's, it adds a nice kind of, like, uh, kind of spiritual element to it because it's this kind of um, like for example like there's a lot of things that happen caves um, in like you know philosophical and theological things you know obviously like the tomb of Christ the the myth of the cave in Plato and so there's some interesting kind of like parallels there and like that shot of him kind of laying down and like the the soul beam of like moonlight kind of hitting him on his face um, is is really powerful. And it's interesting because it, it's very clear that he doesn't really use the force anymore. Um, 
which is a, again a reference to the sequel trilogy very similar to how luke when he goes into hiding he doesn't use the force anymore he's kind of cut himself off and what's interesting though is that i immediately was set up after the recap to think that oh we're going to see qui-gon in this episode um and there's that dream series sequence where he wakes up and he actually calls out the qui-gon and um and he does that a few times throughout the first two episodes and Qui-Gon never shows up. So I don't know if we're going to see Liam Neeson or not. I, I would put money on it that we are, um, that they, they went so heavy into it in these first like two episodes. It has to, but I imagine he's kind of pretty cut off from the force here. I mean, do you think that we'll see, uh, see Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon in this? I, f- I feel like we almost have to. I mean, they've set it up a couple of times now. I was not expecting those early references, you know, to Qui-Gon. And um, it, it leads you to ask the question of like, what has that relationship looked like over the last 10 years, right? So has he had like fleeting moments where he's been able to communicate with him? Has he not spoken to him at all and is still mm-hmm. trying to figure out what Yoda, you know, was kind of talking about at the end of episode three? Uh, we don't get a, a clear picture of that. Um, so it was a question that I was asking of like, is it something he can do sometimes, but not always? Like, what does that look like? So, I mean, obviously they've set it up for a reason. So they're going to, they're going to come back around to it, in my opinion. Um, just, yeah. just, despite Liam Neeson saying, you know, that he is not in it. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's one of those, I actually kind of like that, like that we didn't see it on the mm-hmm. front end, because I think that there's some serious, like, um, at least in my mind, like there's some serious, like, um, um like expectations because now it's not like i just assumed when i watched episode three that okay obi-wan's gonna be able to get this down pat and he'll be able to communicate with qui-gon like almost immediately and so maybe that he did struggle with it maybe he can't do it maybe it's got something to do with his um his uh kind of like position and where he's at now there's there's a couple there's one more thing i want to talk about with qui-gon here and it's going to involve two different people um first is owen owen lars um and joel edgerton like i i i maybe i'm biased because i really liked him in um warrior which is a a good movie i I think a lot of him as an actor and and he was cast as joel as uh owen lars back before he kind of made it big um and so the fact that he's able to kind of step into this role again and bring really some excellent energy because uncle owen never really got a ton of screen time in episode four and so it's kind of cool to see him here um but owen versus the um the jedi that we encounter um nari um whom we were right when we talked in the previous podcast that the person that is kind of hanging there at the end of that episode and kind of being chased by the inquisitors was a jedi um and so but obi-wan seems to and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there seems to be a little bit of a continuity issue here. Because when he's with Owen, he's all about like, we talked about this Luke when he's of age, he needs to be trained to be a Jedi. And then when Nari confronts him, he says, go bury your lightsaber in the desert and live a normal life, right? So it's like, you got the, and both of that was, both of those things were in the trailers. Um, and so we were kind of debating on like, is this something that happens later? Like, does he come around to it and say, okay, yeah, Luke does need to be trained. But I wasn't expecting both of those things in the same episode. What do you make of, of jaded yet hopeful um, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that contradiction. And then obviously by the time we get to episode four, 
you know, Luke is more than of age to be trained. Um, and yet Obi-Wan has not started the training yet, you know, and it's yeah. not, it's, it's not until, you know, he rescues Luke with the sand people and then they get back and realize that, you know, uh, Owen and Beru are dead, that they really start kind of his training in earnest. Um, but like, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure what to, to make of that. Um, I think part of me thinks that he was just trying to be magnanimous towards towards the the Jedi, right? And say like, if if we hang out together, they're definitely going to find us. Mm. And chances are you're not going to get away anyway, especially if you're carrying your lightsaber and whatever else to so like run, because this is the only way you're probably going to survive this. Yeah. Um, and so I that that is my my guess that he maybe still has hopes to want to train Luke and, and maybe do something about it down the road. But I think he realizes, especially since the inquisitors are so close on his, his tail that like his only chance at this point is to just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of curious on how it's going to play out. Cause you see Obi-Wan again, not using the force. He doesn't really use the force except I think one time in this, in this two, in these two, two episodes. Um, and he um, he has a very unique relationship with Owen, um, which again is appealing to me. Because the last time we saw them together, Obi Wan just handed them Luke. Have and a baby. Luke, Here you go. <laughs> here's a baby. Yeah. And um, and previous to that, like Owen seemed like a pretty cool guy. Like he was friendly to Anakin and Padme, and didn't seem really jaded. And so. Um, you know, was Obi-Wan involved in their life early on? And then Owen found out that Anakin died um, either by Obi-Wan's hand. I'm assuming Obi-Wan was honest, um, though he's not really that honest when he first meets Luke and tells him about it. So maybe not. But, you know, he's uh, the kind of the toy that we mentioned, the T-16, which I'm assuming will find its way back with Luke. Um, Obi-Wan is watching Luke um, with some kind of Jedi binoculars and he I guess sneaks the T-16 onto their property. Owen finds it, realizes it's from him and then takes it to Obi-Wan kind of throwing it at him. He knows where to find him basically in the market and they have this argument which I again I thought was really cool because you see the seeds of Owen's like only the only thing that matters is the life on the moisture farm. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the whole idea of like, you know, Obi-Wan, uh, your uncle's us, you are going to follow uh, Obi-Wan on some damn idealistic crusade. You know, that, that <laughs> kind of like the seeds of that are right here, right? Because Obi-Wan's insisting that Luke get trained. Owen is like, he's just a kid. He's going to stay on the farm. We're going to protect him that way. Um, which is really interesting. Well, uh, anything else or kind of final thoughts on like Owen and, and Obi-Wan here? Yeah. I mean, Owen seem, really seems to have taken on like that fatherly responsibility. Um, so he, he doesn't seem to really care about Obi-Wan's long-term plans for Luke. Um, you know, I think in adopting Luke, I think he has, has really taken on that fatherly role. And, and it's what he says to Obi-Wan, you know, after Reva kind of interrogates him, you know, he turns around, and he says, wasn't for you. Right. Which, which means that, you know, he's, he's really taken on that fatherly protective role of Luke. And, um, you know, I, I think he's just scared. Right. Um, and probably all the way up to a new hope when Luke is begging to get off of Tatooine, I think he's still probably just acting out of fear. Um, like, no, you need to stay here. 
you know, we'll hire some droids next, next year, next year, stick around another year, you know, cause I think he's probably fearful for what's ultimately going to happen to Luke. Yeah. And it's, it's really that scene with the inquisitor, like her, like really bearing down on him. You also see in some weird way, the courage of Owen, like, um, and like to stand up to a, a fully fledged uh, inquisitor, um, which they call the, was it the third sister? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was, again, I thought that was really cool uh, to see kind of Owen's um, response to that. And I, I love how you describe it. He's really kind of taken on that fatherly role. And I, <laughs> I know this is weird, but I just hope that there's more. <laughs> like he did such a good job in this episode. That's all we've seen. We have no idea what's coming up um which again like i said is really cool um but then we kind of transition in the first and second episodes here um i forget where we first see it i think it's in the first episode to the big surprise of i think the first two episodes leia organa mm-hmm. makes an appearance as a as a child uh, accompanied by jimmy smith and i think that um one of the things that's been really interesting with that character uh, i mean specifically bail organa is his um like uh you know he was there at the, he's always just been this very likable presence um in the prequel trilogy in rogue one now in obi-wan um he is he's been a very like likable guy and i think really and you talk about like really taking on the fatherly role he has taken on the fatherly role to leia and so i think that's really cool how they show the affection that both of these um, adopted parents have taken to the the Skywalker children um, really early on. I think that's really beautiful. And um, I also, and I saw this online, it kind of made me tear up. The, uh, somebody posted a picture of Carrie Fisher um, and put it next to the, to the young actress um, uh, whose name is Vivian Blair. Um, and it's, I, it's, they say that I think that Carrie would be proud on how she um, em- embodied um, Leia and I think that's true like that that's 100% like perfectly like a bridge between um, Natalie Portman's um, Padme and Leia Organa as Carrie Fisher like I think that kind of brashness that boldness um, courage right <laughs> even when she like hits Obi-Wan in the head in the head with that chair you know <laughs> like just fantastic like really great stuff what do you make of uh, we get to see a little bit more of um uh why am i blanking on the name what's the planet that they're on dio was it no the uh oh is that what they're at i thought they were on um oh alderaan alderaan yeah i thought they were on alderaan yeah they go to dio later um yeah, yeah no i think uh, alderaan it was cool to see more of alderaan than we've ever seen before right we've seen it uh, just in that little kind of brief picture at the end of episode three and then we see it in pieces and that's about it like, that's, that's right that's, yeah those are the two moments <laughs> that we get um so it was neat to see a little bit more of that and i i enjoyed you know the little prank that she plays at the beginning uh you know with uh, the other girl that's dressed up as as leia and you know they do a really good job of of just demonstrating that brashness and that uh that orneriness you know that obviously is so much of her character the whole way up through um you know it's hard with kid actors i think you know and uh there were a couple of moments where i was like "Ah, do i do i fully buy her you know because she talks so much like an adult um 
that I'm like, oh, could we really, could we really picture even the most advanced 10 year olds? Like, could we really picture a 10 year old, you know, saying and doing these kinds of things, but at other times, like she was, she was just spot on and perfect. So I said, like my, my quibbles are very minor. And that was probably one of them where there's just a couple of times where internally I was gone. Eh, I don't, I don't know about this yeah. dynamic, but at the same time, they hit it enough in other parts with her character that, you know, obviously I was willing what I really liked about it was that we saw some of the dynamic between her and Obi-Wan um, and like there's going to be a longer history between them uh, but ultimately um, I like that you know now on the Death Star right she's like I'm Luke Skywalker I'm here to rescue I'm here with Ben Kenobi and she goes Ben Kenobi right like there is there is a whole lot more to that than her just having some awareness that this guy exists because he once knew her dad so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, I mean, the thing that's really the great swerve of this is I went into this expecting to maybe meet Luke in these two episodes and meeting Leia was kind of an unexpected treat and to make her kind of the main, um, one of the main characters of this, especially the second episode um, is, is pretty cool. Um, but uh, the, the kind of the main driving force at the end of episode one and episode two is that she's abducted by flea, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which is really interesting. Um and I always, I always remember him as needles from uh, Back to the Future. And so, um, uh, interesting. Jimmy Smith is able to just find him, which seems pretty, uh, pretty weird. Uh, like find Obi Wan, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you go find my daughter?" Um, and things like that. And I, you know, that felt a little weird to me. I mean, obviously they Facetime him first, um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it was, I thought, I don't know. I just felt that was like a little weird um, that he was able to just come out there and like it, no one noticed really like yeah. that. It's, it's a little convenient. It's like, oh, here's Bail Organa showing up on Tatooine of all places. Nobody notices. He goes like directly to Obi-Wan's cave and yeah. like, is like, yeah, you gotta go find my daughter. Like that's a little bit of a story leap. I think that, you know, they probably just did for time's sake, I'm guessing. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's a little convenient. Yeah, is there also a sense in which, like, I always thought Tatooine was not really in the know, mm -hmm. uh, and it was weird when the Inquisitor showed up. He's like, "You know who I am? You're the Inquisitor. You would hunt Jedi. You know that kind of thing." Mm -hmm. Like that was, I thought that was interesting because I, uh, I always thought the Tatooine was not really like hip. Like they're on the outer rim; they're not really part of the main thing. I mean, they mentioned it even right, like when the the Inquisitors are threatening um the people of tattooing they're like yeah we're on the outer rim you don't have any authority here um i just thought it was weird that they seem to know so much about the inquisitors and the jedi i don't know yeah it's it's a bit of like the strange way that disney is treating tattooing um that like it's it's somehow on the outer rim and so far out of the galaxy but at the same time like the center of all of these things um, yeah. and so they, they just treat it inconsistently in general you know i always got the impression in episode four for instance like there are all these stormtroopers hanging around you know moss Eisley, but that's because they knew that the droids were on tatooine otherwise i feel like there's no imperial presence there like that's why the huts run it that's why you know bounty hunters are there because there are there is no empire out there right uh, so, so yeah so the idea that like the inquisitors show up and everybody immediately is afraid of these guys um again is a little bit there's a little bit strange i agree with that yeah and it's it is interesting because like even in episode one like the, the the galactic senate doesn't really have any authority out in the in the outer rim and they make a big deal about the fact that the huts are gangsters and if they found out that queen amidala was there they would do bad stuff to her and so i'm wondering if the if the huts will make an appearance in this as a kind of response to the fact that there's a lot of imperial activity um or they just don't cover it maybe they don't i don't know 
Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the big thing, he goes out into the desert, what he, uh, what he recommended that the uh, Jedi do with his lightsaber. He apparently is done with his and Luke's buried out in the middle of the desert. He picks it out and also has a blaster, I guess, and then decides to go do it. And you get that really cool scene where he like puts his like credit thing back in his belt and you see that he's got his lightsaber on, which is really cool. Um, but also it's like, okay, like now we're just kind of flaunting it. <laughs> like people know, I guess, who Jedi are, first of all, and then who the Inquisitors are and who they hunt. I feel like that's a little bold, Obi-Wan. Um, that was very much like, let's not draw attention to ourselves um, <laughs> kind of thing. And so, you know, uh, he, uh, what's interesting here though, and I, I, I want to get your opinion about this. And I know we're kind of still hanging around episode one. We haven't really gotten to episode two, uh, but we'll go quicker through it. Um, Obi-Wan's reluctant. He wants to stay and watch Luke. That's his task. That's what he said he was going to do. Um, and Bail Organa is trying to get him to go find Leia. Another one of the Skywalker kids, but not really his direct thing. And Obi-Wan is really, really reluctant. Like, he doesn't want to do it. Like, when they kind of holocron him, like, he says no. And then when Bail Organa comes out, he still is very much like no. And, and kind of, he has to, Bail Organa has to kind of, like, twist his arms. They're like, come on, old friend, one more fight, that kind of thing. Um, and again, I can't help but draw the parallel here between not only him and episode four, when he's willing to enter back into the fray because something's being asked of him. But also Luke in episode eight, um, not really wanting to enter back into the fight. Um, what do you make of all of that? I think the treatment of Obi-Wan feels a little bit like a course correction from the sequels, um, simply because you know Obi-Wan is very reluctant. He says some of the, she says some really similar things to what Luke does, right? So at one point, you know, he doesn't say it's time for the Jedi to end, but he basically says, you know, this the Jedi are gone. Like this is over. Um, as he sends the the guy in the desert away. Yeah. Um, you know, he's reluctant to jump back in the fight. He's he's kind of just marooned there by himself. And yet, like when he sees, and it goes back to what the Inquisitor says at the beginning of the episode, when he sees that other Jedi strung up, right, knowing Leia is in danger. Right. Of the episode. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so he says, so, so he, and he does, right. So he draws, he's drawn out. They, they know where he's been um, because of what he does. And so that whole thing kind of comes true. But I think that is so different, obviously, from, from Luke, who is not moved by the galaxy being in danger, not moved by Starkiller base destroying everything, not moved by the death of his friend Han. <laughs> not right. Moved, yeah by this orphan, this force sensitive orphan that shows up on his doorstep, right? Like, from a desert planet, first of all. From a desert planet, right. None of that moves him to say, okay, maybe I should jump back in the fray here. And so I, I'm glad that they didn't do to Obi-Wan what they did to Luke and that Obi-Wan is still finds himself being able to draw him back into the fight. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really, I think that's really a uh, really excellent way to put it, you know, because I thought I had, flashbacks to that as well and i mean it goes to the point that i made I, I forget which one of our podcasts i covered this is that for me like i've i always thought luke was the best jedi ever because he was able to like he had the hope to save his father um but then like episode eight he just all that's gone and so obi-wan's the one who doesn't do that like he experiences trauma just like luke but he enters back to the fray and here they really double down on that but i think show the human side of it as well 
Um, I think I think Obi Wan's the best Jedi at this point. Yeah, which is fascinating because he's not the most powerful Jedi, which I think those are different things. Like clearly, yeah, yeah. Mace Windu is the most powerful Jedi. Yeah. Um, unless uh, Star Killer is canon, I don't know. Um, so anyway, let's go into uh, Episode Two just a little bit. Um, we get to finally see a new planet, which is super cool. Um, and uh, what's the name of the planet? You said it earlier. Um, Dio. Dio. Um, and you know, Obi Wan's kind of walking around on there. We get to meet some new characters, which is really cool. A great cameo that I loved a clone trooper, uh, played by Tamoria Morrison, you know, <laughs> Boba Fett and everything. I, it was, I thought, not nah, perfect. Um, some people online have, have noticed that he, ha- he has the 501st on there, um, and which uh, might have been like that he recognizes Obi Wan, um, because that was kind of Obi Wan's battalion from the Clone Wars um but anyway great reference even in, even in a galaxy far far away the va is not great <laughs> uh but uh i i, I digged this planet uh, another uh cameo that i really liked i thought i mean i just always think he's kind of funny and so was, even though like for so for example he, i think he was one of the bright spots of the eternals <laughs> um but we got to see uh, uh kumala nanjia um N- nagiani sorry um and he played kind of a nondescript like con man um again really funny he was masking himself as a jedi and he kind of helps connect uh, obi-wan not only to where leia is but also how to get off the planet um again cool stuff really good f- I, again i think it was perfect comic relief really great inserted there uh, but yeah so as you're kind of thinking about like episode two what are some of the things that stand out to you about that uh um that that kind of sequence of finding leia all, all that good stuff yeah I, I liked it i liked the and we just got it for a very very limited amount of time but i liked kind of the um espionage obi-wan you know when he's like sneaking into that place and he starts the fire and then he you know lifts the key card off the guy like that whole sequence was cool um reminded me a little bit of like iron man 3 even though yep. i didn't really like iron man 3 a whole lot but like Robert Downey Jr. infiltrating the mansion at the end of that movie, like some of those yeah. kind of, same kind of hijinks. That was fun, um, and uh, you know, overall, I liked I liked his interactions with Leia. Um, yeah. Some of it got a little much, like when she's when she's like, "I don't trust you," and you know, you're you're the bad guy. I was like, "That's a bit of a leap," but she's also a little girl, and she you know, scared and runs away. Um, but I, I overall, I liked their chemistry. I liked their dynamic. And even the fact that he turns around and asks her at one point, how old are you? And she's like, I'm 10. And he's like, okay, you don't sound like any 10-year-old I know. Um, I thought all that was was really good. Uh, so I just enjoyed I enjoyed that whole sequence. I also enjoyed Obi-Wan just punching dudes. That was, yes. that was cool. Like, I'm just going to cold cock you. The one, um, I don't know if you, if you called it or if it was even intentional. I'm guessing it was. But when he punches the guy, he makes this sound like, ah, that really hurt and kind of shakes off his hand. And I'm pretty sure it's the same hand that he punches Grievous with in episode three. Oh, and, wow. And makes that like, ah, I should not have hit a droid in the face kind of sound. I don't yeah. know if that was intentional or not, but it, it seemed like something they planted there as an Easter egg. Yeah. And it's kind of like that Darth Maul character too. So it's like some of it might be just the horns on the head too, but that's Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I liked that. I also, I too also like the, uh, the Leia kind of stuff. I also, I mean, the thing I really liked about this planet, um, and kind of this aspect of star Wars, it kind of gets into like one of George Lucas's 
as you mentioned in our last podcast, like his vision for the sequels as being more crime focused. And so you can kind of see how this is part of it. So for example, they allude to the fact that this planet, it's kind of like a hub of, for lack of a better term, like intergalactic trafficking. So he's like, I'm looking for my daughter. And it's like, I was someone's daughter once too. And if they're here, you're never going to find them again, you know, kind of thing. I thought that was kind of a cool, like look at the underbelly of the galaxy. Um, you know, you haven't, we haven't really seen that aspect of it. We've seen kind of gestures towards it, but you know, drugs are there, all kinds of interesting things. Um, but yeah, so we also get, uh, is, it's so fascinating, you know, like Bail Organa, I think recruits Obi-Wan thinking, he, you know, we're going to get the Jedi, right? And he only uses the force like once and that's it. And so it's very much like him. And I think this is wise, right? Like the lightsaber would draw attention to himself. The force would draw attention to himself. And so he's basically just punching people, as you said, <laughs> or using like Tai Chi to redirect their, uh, their energy into walls and stuff like that. Um, or shooting people with a blaster, which he is very bad at. <laughs> he could not, he could, he's almost as bad as a stormtrooper. <laughs> true. And so, um, and we get some looks at some uh, bounty hunters on this planet too. One of which actually, I think, shows up in, uh, or at least a version of it shows up in episode five, right? Um, but he, uh, 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 the Kumala, Kumali, um, I forget his name, like in the in the show, he actually um, blasts that droid. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah. Um, a pretty pretty standard kind of chase scene you know there at the end reva lays actually a pretty ingenious trap i'm actually a little depressed that obi-wan fell into the trap so easily <laughs> um myself i i was like yeah you should you should like, i felt like uh, him in episode three is like we're better than this <laughs> yeah that's like, right <laughs> you know i felt like that was kind of very warranted but um yeah i mean that's it's kind of pretty standard stuff until leia falls off a building and he has to force catch her um which you can tell that's not something he's done in a while it almost seems like it hurts him a little bit he's not used to it um and they kind of get like i said they find a way onto a, a droid ship even though they're very actively the inquisitors are shutting down the planet to catch obi-wan um now i think the most interesting stuff here happens in the last like four to five minutes of the show um they kind of get caught on this platform there's leia reva and obi-wan Obi-Wan sends Leia to get onto the ship and he pulls out his lightsaber like he's going to use it and he never does um and he gets kind of stopped by like this this revelation which is really cool because I had no idea that he didn't know this um but you know clearly obviously he probably didn't know this Reva lets him know that Darth Vader is still alive uh that Anakin Skywalker is still alive uh, which is interesting do a lot of people know that I mean, she would, I guess, because she was there at the temple. But, um, okay, that makes sense. I was actually confused about that, but that makes a lot more sense if she was there at the temple during Order 66. She would have known who Anakin Skywalker was. But that kind of, like, stops Obi-Wan in his tracks. Um, and that's fascinating. What do you think of that kind of revelation that Obi-Wan didn't know that, that Vader was still alive? Yeah, I was I was hyped about that part. I thought that was cool. It obviously had a lot of echoes, right, of Luke and Vader in episode six when Luke is thinking about Leia and Vader's kind of probing his thoughts and he's like, oh, you have a sister, right? And and the fact that that Obi-Wan is kind of hiding in a similar pose and 
Riva is is reading his thoughts and consensus fear and then oh very that, good that, yeah. that that revelation about Anakin and she can she can tell like oh he's surprised I thought was really cool because it's one thing we didn't know we learn that Owen thinks that Anakin is dead so the whole galaxy doesn't know that Darth Vader's Anakin Skywalker and vice versa but we didn't know what Obi-Wan's status of that was and and to see his shock and his surprise and um you know his that revelation and i thought was a really great moment uh in the in the old canon you know he obi-wan's on tatooine and it's kind of in his early days of hiding and he finds out almost through like a hollow net thing like uh you know he basically sees a news report regarding darth vader um and he realizes like oh that's anakin right so it's it's in a much more indirect way i thought this was a really good way to reveal that um and it's something i think that Reva can potentially use to manipulate Obi-Wan uh, if she wants to draw him back out again. Yeah, yeah. You're and saying, uh, you're saying earlier in your, uh, your theory that you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating because like, I mean, this one, like you don't get to kind of rest with this because she's about to find Obi-Wan and the Grand Inquisitor shows up and Reva actually kills him um because she wants to she wants to be the one that takes um uh she wants to be the one that takes vader uh, sorry obi-wan to vader like she's very clear about that and and you think about it throughout this episode and it's presented to you like in the sense of uh the grand inquisitor as like she's just got ambition which is a very sith thing right um but at the end of this like i thought like juxtaposed with the opening scene where very clearly it seems like that's her as a young jedi and they kind of allude to that with the grand inquisitor too that and this is this could be way out there so if this is wrong just completely disregard this i feel like you know it seems like she wants to take obi-wan to meet vader so she can become like the next grand inquisitor or whatever like gain power but i think that this is her way of getting access to vader i think that one person that we're going to see die in the temple probably by anakin's hand is going to be her master um and she's going to be really upset about that so this has been a long game of her with the revenge and she wants to take obi-wan to fight him because with obi-wan's help because he almost killed her killed him before by himself um and probably would have if it wouldn't been for um sidious so she probably wants his help to kill vader and get revenge and i, I that's something that i think of and we talked about like reva becoming good again and I think this might be the way that it comes about, but obviously it's not successful. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll see if that's what happens. I, th I think that's a really great theory. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think about that, but I think that may hold a lot of water. And I doubt, I doubt if that's the case, obviously then I doubt we would see Reva kind of make a turn back to the light like people are experiencing or people are, are kind of postulating, but um, it would be her her way of getting back at vader right so i don't think she makes a, a turn a full turn back to the good but if that does happen then it's you know her and obi-wan kind of teaming up against our vader and um, i think you know that could set up if, if vader dispatches with her you know that kind of sets up the big fight between between anakin and obi-wan 2.0 yeah which is going to be amazing i'm hyped for that like ian mcgregor's talked about like how it, how it felt because he never fought anakin in the suit in the vader suit and you know he grew up with vader being like you know one of those villains that scared him as a kid and so he says seeing him come at him as vader is a very terrifying thing 
which, um, I'm, which I'm really looking forward to see how Disney envisions that fight going. I would love to also, maybe we also get a Vader Riva fight, um, you know, red lightsaber on red lightsaber. That would kind of be cool. But the only thing we've seen is that kind of episode. I forget what they call it, like scene 47 reimagined or whatever it is. Yes. It's that, you know, reimagined fight in episode four. That's all we've seen of like kind of a modern fight involving Darth Vader, um, except for Rogue One. But that's not a fight so much as it is him just slaughtering guys. That's, oh, <laughs> um, yeah. But like, I, I'm interested to see like, what, how do they choreograph that? What does that look like? How do they, how do they handle that? That'll be cool. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That, I think that's the one thing we're all looking forward to. The final reveal, which again was great. They handled it great, was the reveal of uh, Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader um, in the makeup. Cause, you know, he, I, you, and you called, you already referenced this, the kind of like um, Luke connection to Leia, for example, like at the end of episode five, when Luke's hanging out at the bottom of Cloud City and he calls out to Leia, she hears him and they turn around and stuff. You know, Obi Wan kind of, like calls out to Anakin and you see you flash to wherever Anakin's at kind of in his um uh in his healing tube and his eyes open you can tell it's Hayden Christensen um and you hear the the breathing that we normally associate with Vader and so that's how it ends and so this left on a really fun note um of uh of Obi-Wan finding out you know he's got Leia so I'm assuming they're heading back to Alderaan um, which is going to be great. Um, and so I am just curious to see where we're going from here. Um, they wrapped up all of the main kind of like things like they could have done Obi-Wan chasing after Leia for the whole season. And they wrapped that up real quick. And so who knows where we're going, which I think is the most fun thing about this. Like we have no idea where this is going and so i think this is great i'm really looking forward to this like i said i'm very cautiously op optimistic um but i think the whole package overall was really good any final thoughts here luke on the first two episodes of obi-wan i think this was a great way to reintroduce the character and kind of wet everybody's whistle they didn't give you everything there's still some things that you're waiting on uh, yeah I'm, you know we're still waiting on some lightsaber action from obi -Wan. we're waiting on uh some Clone Wars flashbacks that I think we're going to get. We're waiting on the, uh, the big showdown between Obi-Wan and Vader. So there's still a lot of ground left to cover, uh, but I thought this was a great start. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll be back here um, next week after um, episode three of the Obi-Wan series. Um, it's a shorter series, um, but uh, we'll be back here every week to give a brief review. Um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, leave us a review on wherever you listen to us, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Helps other people find us. Uh, we got lots of stuff coming up in the future. Um, main thing to keep a watch out for are these uh, Star Wars reviews. Um, we're still uh, debate. We're still kind of conversing, uh, me and uh, Kyle, on what we're going to do in the main episode. So uh, these uh, weekly coverages of Obi-Wan uh, will kind of hold us over until um what is next will pop on our imaginations but lots of stuff to look forward to uh thank you luke for uh joining us tonight and we will uh see you next week with our obi-wan coverage good night everyone see you next week and that's a wrap thank you for joining us on art house road show we'll see you next time <laughs>